Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. All right, so I gave five cards, small little cards to some folks in the room just hold on to those i'm going to ask you in just a moment uh to stand i want you to loudly s- recite those from memory no i'm just like <laughs> i just gave them to them so just just be prepared for that i'm going to get to that i just don't want you wondering when that you're supposed to i'm not going to let you miss miss it uh i will i will call the verse out very specifically for you to to have the time to do that but i want to talk to you guys about First Peter. And like any study we do, we need to start with, if we're going to study a letter, this one specifically being an epistle, which means, which means a letter that is circular, which means it, went, it was intended to go from church to church to church to church. And so we can, we can know that because it was a circular letter, that that circular letter was intended for all Christians. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Like Timothy was not a circular letter. Timothy was specifically written for the sake of showing Timothy how to lead a church, showing him what a godly man looks like in that position. And so it was a mentoring letter to a specific person. The Corinthian letters were to the Corinthian church, not a, necessarily a circular. Uh, and so th- all those things are important when you start studying letters and what kind of letters you're studying. And so I'll tell you first that 1 Peter is a cer- circular letter intended to be passed from church to church to church. And so, I'm going to go ahead and start by opening up with verse 1. First Peter says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a little background information just so that you have it, because there's no sense in doing a study if you don't know who they're writing to, why they're writing, that kind of stuff. Because it's relevant to the rest of the book. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, his authorship has never been in question. Uh, matter of fact, they, it's, it's often, or it has been quoted, that they accepted Peter to be the writer of this letter even before the word canon was used to determine Scripture. So this, the book, the book is ne- this letter has never been in question as to who wrote it, unlike most books. To those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, in Bithynia. So he is saying, he is writing, he just told you who he's writing to. We know who the author is. The author is Peter, the apostle Peter that walked with Jesus, right? The, the arrogant, sometimes unthinking, always action Peter is the author. And he's writing to resident aliens. So who are these resident aliens? Why is he writing to resident aliens scattered abroad? The answer to the why they're scattered abroad is found in the reason why they have been dispersed. They they have been dispersed because they have been prosecuted. This is the most significant pregame point I'm going to make. And what I mean by that is just so everybody understands what field we're playing on. The field game talk, pregame talk is that the church in this area was facing severe persecution. 
Now, I know in America, it's the reason I prayed the prayer that I prayed, because I want us to be conscious of how good we've got it. But in the church in America, we don't understand persecution. We think that persecution means that someone tells us we can't meet on Sunday, even though we could still meet at our house. Now, because we don't like our freedoms trampled on, that's still a big deal to us, and it should be, but we don't understand true persecution. In 2017, I had the privilege to go to Israel, as most of you know. And I stood in an arena. It was the largest arena in this particular region that was used for um, the games, the, the Roman games. This particular one was important. It's the reason they brought us there is because inside of this arena is where they would kill and persecute Christians. Now, I'm not talking about just shoot them or cut their head off, as horrible as those things are. I'm talking about, and I'm going to be a little bit gross for a minute, I'm talking about skinning wild animals, using rope to tie that still bloody skin around a Christian, and then releasing packs of wild dogs into the arena to watch the packs of wild dogs kill and eat the Christian. These were games to them. This is what it is to, to, to the people that P Peter was writing to. This is the persecution that they were facing. Not only that, but they were, they were burned at the cross. And so they were, many of them were executed just as our Savior was executed. Many of them were literally the lighting for these games. And what I mean is they would take a pole, and you could still see the, the darker stone this here two centuries later in this particular arena. They would put posts around the inside of the arena, wrap Christians around them, tie them there, and set them on fire so that they could see other Christians being eaten by wild animals. I'm not trying to freak you out, although that should freak you out. What I'm trying to do is set the stage for why is Peter writing this letter? He's writing a letter to the aliens scattered throughout all these places, but they are aliens, resident aliens, in the places that they're in because due to, the, due to Nero's persecution of them, they, they ran, they scattered. And so Nero set Rome on fire, if you didn't know. Well, it's alleged that he set Rome on fire. Everybody believed he set Rome on fire, but to take, take attention off of himself, he blamed it on the Christians. And so everybody hated the Christians, and this kind of thing happened. And so, first and foremost, I just want to tell you why the letter is being written and who it was written to. It was being written for the sake of encouraging those that were facing persecution. We don't understand persecution. I feel like I could say this a thousand times and we still wouldn't get it in America. I, I find myself, this is going to sound super weird, but I find myself in this tension. I, I, I had a conversation with a buddy of mine recently about the tensions in ministry and the tensions in the Christian life. And it's a Christian life tension that I find myself in. And that is, I don't want to be persecuted, but I would kind of like to be persecuted because persecution in the blood of Christians grows the church historically. And I know that's scary to think about, but it's the truth. And this is exactly what's happening in Peter's day. If they'd have all stayed where they were, had they not been dispersed, 
then the Christianity that they, that they had and that they lived in wouldn't have been brought through all of these regions. And so he needs them to understand that I need you to stand strong even in your persecution. I need you to understand that it's bigger than you. That Jesus Christ died for you. Because there's three specific things that he, he says throughout the entire text. And this is it. Suffering Christians should stand strong because of their great salvation. We should stand strong just simply because Jesus Christ stood strong for us. And that's the general message in chapter, starting in chapters 1 through the 10th verse of chapter 2. From chapter 2, 11 to 4 through 4, chapter 4, verse 6, the second thought, suffering Christians should stand strong because of their example before men. First, we should stand strong because Jesus Christ stood strong for us and because as our example, other people will come to know who he is. And then finally, in chapter 4, 7 through 5, 14, which is the end of the letter, suffering Christians should stand strong because one day, none of this is going to matter because the Lord's coming back after you. And so he says, stand strong. Stand strong. Let me encourage you. Resident aliens. You're resident aliens according to the word of God. You're not citizens of this world. You're in this world. You're not of this world. You are something different. You are the resident alien that, that Peter is talking to today. Stand strong because of your salvation. Stand strong because men are watching you. Stand strong because at some point it's not going to matter about any of this stuff. But regardless... Christian, stand strong. Amen? And so, that's the crux of this letter. This is the reason why this letter was written. And he gives us four reasons, actually three reasons and, a, and an outcome of why we should stand strong in verse 2. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2 again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Now, I tell you, this is just his introduction. And I was, quite honestly, was going to use the introduction just to introduce this lesson. I was actually going to do my teaching in 3 through 5. But there's so much good meat in verse 2 and 1 that I, 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 told, I texted Pastor Rick. I said, listen, because I had just sent him an outline of all of chapter 1 and how we were going to teach it, uh, like maybe what the day before or just a few hours before. And I said, man, I can't. There's too much good stuff here. So, so there's three things specifically and one outcome from those three things that I want to talk to you about why we should stand strong in the face of persecution. First and foremost, because according to the text, we stand firm, we stand strong because we are chosen. Did you hear what I said? We stand strong because we were chosen. The text says, who are chosen according to the knowledge of God. Actually, it says, according to the foreknowledge of God. 
This is going to super rub some of y'all super weird. How many of you guys have a Baptist background? All right. Get ready. I need you to put your feet in the stirrups, heels down, and just hold on. It's going to be all right. All right? Foreknowledge. Many, many people will tell you, according to the foreknowledge of God, means that God, in his sovereignty, decided from the foundations of the earth who would and who would not come into his kingdom. Essentially saying that I will choose these and I will not choose these. That I have created you specifically to go to hell. I have created you specifically to spend eternity with me. And then they use a chapter in the book of Romans, which maybe we'll get to one day, chapter 9, to, to prove this truth. But what they don't understand there, and I'm not going to get into it today, is that he's talking to the nation Israel. He's not talking independently. He's talking to a nation. So I'm not going to get into that. There's only one truth in the statement that those people would tell you. God is sovereign. But God in his sovereignty did not choose to send anybody to hell. Can you hear me? God in his sovereignty, which means his absolute control. Do I believe he has absolute control? Yes. The word declares that God is sovereignly in control of all things. I'm sovereignly in control of my house. My wife and I talk about stuff, but at the end of the day, I'm <laughs> wives or husbands don't look at your wife right now. <laughs> I saw you, Justin. Don't, 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 don't let me get you in trouble. We talk about stuff, but I'm sovereignly in control of my house. But that doesn't mean that in my sovereign control, the authority in which I have by right, I don't give my wife the freedom to choose whether or not she's going to love me. Is everybody with me? So, what I need to do is I need to prove to you, I need you to know. I don't need to prove it to you. It's in the Word of God. Just read the Word of God. But we're going to show in the Word of God where this statement is true. And I know that's messed some of you up because that's what you've been taught your whole life. Can we step back from our traditions for a minute and just read the Word of God? Can we just say, you know what, this is what my pastor told me. But the Word of God seems to indicate something different. Let me... I had to do this when I, when we started the church. Come back from the teachings I had been traditionally taught and go to the Word and find out what the Word actually says. There's a text that I hear used, let me just give you an example, that I hear often talking about offering where God will shake down, press, all that stuff. I can't remember the text exactly. But if you'll give, God's going to give back to you. He's going to press it down and shake it. It's going to be overflowing and press it down and all this stuff. And you're going to be abundantly over and above. I'm not saying that's not true. What I'm saying, that's not, that's not what the Word's saying. If you'll go back and find that address, I wish I could give it to you right now. He's talking about forgiveness in context. Not giving. But our tradition leads us to believe that that's about giving, not forgiving. It doesn't displace the idea that God blesses the giver because there's other promises in other places for that. But we need to step, I say that only to say, we need to step back from our traditions from time to time 
and say, what does the Word of God say? Amen? And so this is what I want to do. I want to talk to you about what the Word of God says so that you can prove that He is sovereign, but in His sovereign, chosen means something different than He chose some people to go to hell and chose other people not to. And so, I passed out some verses. Who's got John 7, 17? Can you stand up and read it pretty loud? Amen. What is the what is the what is he saying? He says if, which means that you have an opportunity to decide whether or not you're going to do God's will. Well, what is God's ultimate will? God's ultimate will is that all come to Him, right? That's why He sent Jesus. Joshua twenty four fifteen. Amen. So again, and, I, and this is going to become redundant, but I mean for it to, because as many times as we've heard a potential non-truth, we need to hear a truth. And the truth is, is that if we do the will of God, if we choose which God we will serve, apparently we get an opportunity to choose which God we're going to serve. Even when the Holy Spirit falls on us, we still have the ability to choose in His sovereignty, released to us the ability to choose whether or not we will be of service to Him. Mark 8, 34. If anyone will come after me, which means that there's a possibility that there are those that will decide not to come after him. Amen? I know I'm just building a case here, guys. Romans 10, 9. Boom. So we're starting to get it, right? If. Everybody heard the if. Which means that there's a possibility that you can refuse that. I'm not saying God's not sovereign. To say that would be foolish and, her and heretical. What I am saying is that you have a choice as to whether or not you're going to accept that call. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Boom. I saved this one for last. Because he specifically tells them, do not eat of this tree. He declared his will to them. I do not want you to eat of this, because if you eat of this, you will surely die. But they did what? They chose to do it anyway. Everybody okay? There is nothing that destroys this argument greater than John 
For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever, y'all ready for this? I looked it up in the Greek. You know what it means? That means whoever. Whoever chooses. Because you're already in a place damned to hell. If you'll read verse 17 and 18, let me read 17 and 18 for you. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. So we're already all going to hell. We have to make a decision based on the word of God, a belief in our heart and a declaration of our mouth, whether or not we're going to stay judged. Everybody all right? I just, I get super excited about this. I got a buddy of mine right now that we're going to argue. He, he's watching on Facebook, I'm sure. We're going to argue about this later. But that's all right. I wouldn't tell you all if I wasn't absolutely convinced that it's true. The word just said, if you do this, if you choose to do this, don't do this, but you did it anyway. We were already judged. But through acceptance of the general call, everybody receives the general call. Not everybody submits to the general call. Whew, that's good. So why should I care about this? Remember I told you, Peter was writing to them for a specific person, for a specific purpose, which was, what was it? To encourage them in the face of their persecution. We should care that God in his foreknowledge chose us because he had a plan to save all of us from the foundations of the earth. So he's saying it doesn't, I'm not, well, not going to say it doesn't matter. It does matter. But he's saying, regardless of what's happening to you, regardless of what you've experienced, regardless of what you've seen, know that because God foreknew you from the foundations of the earth, he knew that this was going to happen to you, and he chose you, so it doesn't matter what happens from this point forward, having accepted that choosing, you're going to be okay. This is what I want you to know today. This is what Peter wants you to know today. You're going to be okay. Everybody say, I am going to be okay. That's exactly right. You know why? Because God, in his foreknowledge, chose you. And man, that, that excites me. We talked this weekend, the sermon was about the blood. And we, we essentially, I just, I just gave the this is the reason the blood was shed for you message. The blood was shed for you. I'm out of breath. I'm up here, my heart's racing. The blood was shed for you because he loves you and because he chose you and because he didn't have to, but because he's so sovereignly in control, he wanted to know that you truly understood what you have and were willing to accept what he was willing to give you. And that, that's comforting. This gives me reason to stand strong. If I don't, if I never got anything else right, this gives me the ability to stand strong. Before we accepted the call, he made a promise. Romans 8, 29 through 30 says this. For those whom he foreknew, 
He also predestined. Which means he foreknew you. And because he foreknows the decision that you will make, he predestined a plan for your life. To become, and you know what that plan is? To become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among the brethren. And these whom he predestined, guess what he did? He called them. And those that he called, guess what he did? He justified them. And those that he justified, guess what he's going to do? He's going to glorify. Amen. He's, he's glorifying us now. I feel like an old-timey preacher today. He, he glorified us then. He glorifies us now. He's going to ultimately glorify us in eternity. And this is the beautiful promise of Romans 8.1. Which says, and I'm going to read it from the King James Version because it's quite honestly the only, it's the only place that I prefer the King James Version. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He chose you because He loves you. I've had discussions with fellas about foreknowledge and, and all of those things, and, and they say, how do you sleep at night? And I asked them what they meant. They said, that would cause me such turmoil and confusion because I know that I'm chosen. I was like, what makes you so arrogant to think that you're chosen and I'm not? Or you're chosen and someone else isn't? What if you have a Matthew 7 experience where you get up to heaven and you find out God didn't choose you? The fact that he chose everybody and sent a general call actually gives me peace. And I think Peter understood that. I know Peter understood that, which is the reason why he brought it up in the first place. Everybody all right? All right. Number two. We can stand firm, stand strong, because we have been and are being sanctified. The, the text continues, it says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What was that? Sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, to be sanctified just simply means to be set aside, made holy, to, to be made for a purpose. This sanctification process starts at salvation. I can prove this to you in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we should always give thanks to you, to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. There's another one of those texts that says, you get, you get, what, what, how do you get saved? By faith. By the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. It starts salvation. The sanctification process continues throughout our life. Let me read, let me read uh, Ephesians 4 to you real quick. Not the whole thing, because it's a lot. 22 through 24. If you've given your life to the Lord... You've been sanctified. You've been set aside for his purpose. You belong to him. He loves you. He chose you. We have all those promises that we just talked about. But you have a responsibility to that. 
And that responsibility looks like this. 22 through 24 says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the old self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Two phrases I want you to pay attention to to prove we have a, we have a responsibility to the sanctification process. And that is, lay aside the old self in verse 22, put on the new self in verse 24. And if you want to know what the new self looks like, go to Galatians 5.22. It's going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, self-control. You want to know how I, haven't, I know I haven't arrived yet? Because when I filter my life through that list, a large piece of me still falls out of the bottom of it. But can I tell you, because it's a process, smaller pieces are falling out of the bottom of that than they used to. And I'm hoping 10 years from now, smaller pieces fall out of that than they are right now. That's why sanctification by the power of the Spirit, because we don't have the ability to do it on our own. Sanctification is a process. And I've said process on purpose. I haven't said it's a program. Anybody know the difference between a process and a program? Most people don't in relation to spiritual things, so they get this spiritual snobbery going on. They think that it's a program, not a process. A program has a finish point. Let me tell you, you're not going to find a finishing point while you're walking around on this earth. You're going to find a process while you're walking around on this earth. Some piece of you is always going to need the Holy Spirit to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's the reason why we were given the Spirit in the first place. To convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, which means to sin so that we can be saved, to righteousness so that we can work through this process, and for judgment so that we keep our eye on the prize. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit gave us, according to uh, Acts 1.8, the power to witness, to be who we are for the sake of other people. This is why he's telling them to stand strong. Stand strong, brothers. Remember I told you the second reason there's books divided into three pieces if you were to divide it the way that I've divided it. The second reason was because other people are watching your example. Don't forget, that's a work done by the Spirit. That's not a work done by you because let me tell you, if you all ever want to meet Flesh Jim Cubic, you're not going to come back next Sunday because Flesh Jim Cubic is jacked up. <laughs> but praise God, he's not as jacked up as he used to be. Mama knows. Remember, Mama? <laughs> Angela definitely knows. Remember, Angela? Anyway, let's focus. There's something else that I want you to pay attention to. The Spirit of God not only empowers us for ministry, doesn't only convict us, but according to the Word of God, it keeps us in remembrance of the Word of God. Do you know ultimately why the new self looks so much differently than the old self? Because I look at the Word and I read it and I study it and I ask God, give me wisdom and revelation so that I might know you better. That's a very intentional prayer. I pray every time before we 
we, we meet together. Every time before I do personal study, every time in my prayer, that's, that's in every prayer that I pray. Because I know without wisdom and revelation, without his wisdom and the revelation of the word of God, I'm as lost as my granddaddy said is last year's Easter egg. Read your word. I let one of the youth kids, because he didn't bring a Bible with him Sunday before last, I let him use my Bible for a, a quiz we were doing. And, and I know you can't see it, but he goes, man, there's so much writing in your Bible. How long did it take you to do that? I said, I don't know. But it's, you're not going to understand most of it because the Word is a living document. And this is what it said to me at the time that I needed it to say something to me. What am I saying? By the Spirit of God, we are sanctified. Don't get mad at the process. Just accept the process. That's what Peter's saying. Just stand strong. Know that God not only chose you, but because he chose you and you've accepted the call that he's given you, he's going to hold you, mold you, break you, cut pieces out of you, mold you again. He's going to get you all wet and mushy again, put you back on the wheel because you, you jacked up yourself in that purpose, going to create you for a new purpose. Just trust the process. You might have done something that you shouldn't have done. You might have said something you shouldn't have said. Nothing. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing caused God to elbow Jesus and go, Yo, bro, you see that? I I didn't see that coming. I didn't I didn't know he was gonna do that. I would have never saved him if I'd known he was gonna do that. He knew your process long before you did. Stand strong. Amen. Number three, I'm going to be about five minutes over. We can stand firm because we are under covenant. Verse 2c says, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. We can stand firm because God made a covenant with us in the blood of his own son. Covenant ain't a contract. Say it. Covenant ain't a contract. We should be excited about that because if you break a contract, the other guy gets to break his contract. God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. So even when you fall short of what we've agreed upon, I'm still going to offer you reconciliation. Exodus, is, so it starts in obedience, though. This, this covenant is sealed. I guess it's probably the best way I can say it is sealed in obedience. I'm going to read this to you. Exodus 24, 3 through 8. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord. So Moses had just talked to God. And all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said this, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. What are they saying? Everything he said, I'm going to be obedient to. They haven't sealed the covenant yet. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. 
He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other people and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in hearing of the people and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So he's saying, you guys made this declaration. We've prepared a sacrifice. We've given a sacrifice. Y'all still in, right? That's essentially what he's saying. So we're going to be obedient, right? So Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. Jesus Christ sprinkled his own blood on you to cover you so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees his son, Jesus. And you seal that covenant through obedience. Your expectation, God's expectation of you is to do this. All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's why I overemphasize, or not overemphasize, I can't overemphasize, Romans 10, 9. Because if you declare in your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, this is what you're saying. Will do. Will do. And they sprinkle the blood which the Lord has made you in accordance to these words. And Jesus, in the New Testament, did the same thing for us. In obedience. Did what the Father's will required of him. And then finally, we stand strong because of peace through grace. Peace through grace. It's all about grace. You know why? Because we don't deserve to be chosen. We don't deserve to be under covenant. We don't deserve anything. God gave it to us anyway. And then we have the promise of peace because of the graces we don't deserve. Grace is simple, but it's often confused. Grace isn't some huge theological thing. It is this. It's anything you receive from God that you didn't, that you didn't earn. And can I tell you, that's everything. You don't deserve the breath in your lungs. You don't deserve the life that you have. You don't deserve the job that you have. You don't deserve the favor that's been given to you. You don't deserve the family God's placed around you. But the graces, the undeserved favor of God gave it to you anyway. And so Peter's saying, listen, at the end of the day, God chose you. He made covenant with you. He's never going to break any of those things. Stand strong. I need you to know that his grace is sufficient for you no matter what happens to you as a resident alien. And I would say the same thing to you. That it doesn't matter as a resident alien what happens to you. What scattered you or not scattered you. God sees you, knows you, called you, and created covenant with you anyway. Why? Because he wanted to. Which is even, even more of an incredible grace to me. Amen.